Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. Um, we're in our 20th year here on Voice America, and the purpose of the show is really to show you what's possible. You know, how do we turn our obstacles into opportunities and our problems into solutions? And I'm very happy tonight to be talking about a subject that I think is more and more important, really, than it's growing in importance, and that's hearing and hearing loss. And I'm talking to Dr. Brian Kaplan who is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. He's the Chairman and Department of Otolaryngology, Director of the Cochlear Implant Program at Greater Baltimore Medical Center in Baltimore, Maryland, and President of the Maryland Society of Otolaryngology. Dr. Kaplan spent more than 10 years consulting in the medical device and services space, working with venture, public, and private equity firms. In 2013, he co-founded the technology company, Everseat providing a novel mobile platform optimizing scheduling efficiency for medical practices, hospitals, and health systems. Past research interests have included cartilage and inner ear hair cell regeneration with clinical studies involving various autotopical agents, along with hybrid and traditional cochlear implantation. And he will discuss today innovations in cochlear implantation and what we can do about hearing loss. Welcome, Dr. Brian Kaplan. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Great. So let's talk about some of the causes of disabling hearing loss, um, particularly as we get older. Yeah. So that's obviously a growing problem, not only in the United States, but around the world. Uh, The World Health Organization recently came out with some really startling statistics that there's currently 460 million people living with disabling hearing loss in the world. And that number is going to rise to 900 million people by 2050. Mm -hmm. So we know why this is just a huge is? problem. Why do, you think th- why do you think that is? Is it noise pollution? Is it we're living longer? What's the reason? All of the above. Uh, you're spot on. So, you know, we know that the longer you live, that the normal aging process takes its toll on the inner ear. Um, and the little hair cells and the nerves that connect to them over time from environmental noise exposure, from illness, from various medications, head trauma, um, along with just simple aging, uh, all take their toll, and you start to lose those little hair cells, and unfortunately, you can't make more of them um, after you're born. And once you reach a critical threshold, now you start having some uh, symptoms of hearing loss that progresses as we age. And the numbers are really startling as you get older. Yeah. We know that about yeah. a third of 65-year-olds in the United States yeah. have this, and half of 75-year-olds have disabled hearing mm-hmm. loss. Yeah, it says, uh, my stats say that it's estimated that by 2050, over 700 million people, or one in every 10 people, will have disabling hearing loss, according to the World Hearing Organization. That's a lot. Yeah, and there's estimates even higher than that. So it's, uh, it's going to be measured in the hundreds of millions of people who are living with a disability. But luckily, it's a disability that we can often treat successfully. You know, it's interesting. I mean, we know we have vision loss as we get older and people wear glasses. And of course, that's very fashionable. The fashionable glasses. Hearing hasn't been as fashionable. People have been afraid of the stigma. Oh, I have a hearing aid. Now they're talking about, you know, the designer hearing aids. But talk about that and how how it's changing in terms of perception of hearing loss and hearing aids. So I think we're really at the very beginning of that change. You hit it, right. you hit the nail on the head when you said the word stigma. And there's been a yeah. stigma associated with all things aging, right? We don't want to wear glasses. You'd rather wear contacts. You don't want to have gray hair. You color your hair. And people often took the, the hearing loss and the hearing aids that were visible as a visible sign of aging. Um, and, you know, we don't think about your, your trouble reading a menu or trouble reading a book and eating vision uh, correction with some reading glasses as anything all that detrimental to your overall health, right? It's just something that we have to keep in our pocket as you get older to read the menu in the restaurant. But unfortunately, hearing loss is different, and the evidence is mounting now around the association between hearing loss and cognitive decline and dementia. Um, and there was really a yes. landmark paper published in The Lancet just a few years ago that, that highlighted all the things you can do something about to head off dementia as part of a healthy aging program. And the most impactful thing you could do is to treat middle-aged hearing loss. It, mm. it trumped all the other medical variables that they looked at. And that really changed how yeah. we think about this. Well, sure, because doesn't it stimulate the brain, right? The sound is it stimulating does. your brain. 
Right. It does, yeah. and there's a ton of research going on to this right now. You know, we know anytime you use your brain, it's good for you as part of the aging process. Um, you know, we think about doing crossword puzzles and reading and staying engaged with hobbies and, uh, and in the workforce. Right. Uh, all those things are important. And as people start to pull away from those activities, which they often do at an accelerated rate with hearing loss, that we start to see higher rates of social isolation, of depression, um, and then things like falls and hospitalization rates go up as well. Right. And it's really changed uh, how medical practitioners should be thinking about diagnosis and and treating hearing loss. What about the difference, the differentiation between the sound, right, the loudness, and the speech and and the clarity? Because those are two sort of different things. They're two very different things. They're obviously interrelated, uh, but we test for them very differently. If you've ever come in for a hearing test, you know, there's usually two components to a hearing test when you come in. One is you hear that little beep and you either raise your hand yes. or you push the little right. button. Right. Um, and then the second one is we read you a list of words and right. then you read those words or you say those words back to us. Um, and they're testing two very different parts of the hearing system. And as you start to lose your hearing over time, you really just need help with volume. And that's where hearing aids come in. And we can amplify that sound, but it stays nice and clear. And that's where hearing aids uh, are really quite beneficial for you. But over time, you've lost, you start to lose the ability to, to discriminate. That's called discrimination ability. And as you lose that ability to discriminate, it doesn't matter how loud we make the sound because now it's just going to be louder, garbled noise. And as you start to get through moderate to severe and then severe to profound hearing loss, you not only need help with volume, but you need help with clarity. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. hearing aids don't help the clarity. They only help the volume. So what and, helps the clarity? And that's, where co- that's where a cochlear implant comes in, because a cochlear implant works very differently than a hearing aid, and that restores both volume and clarity to patients mm-hmm. who, have, mm-hmm. who have lost a critical, critical value. You know, I want to ask you something about that. I was talking um, in the field about this and asking about cochlear implants, not only for people as they get older, but for people who've had, you know, a hearing loss maybe in one ear um, from childhood or maybe two, but let's say one ear. And, you know, I've been told that it doesn't work because for decades you haven't had hearing and the signal won't go to the brain. What do you think? So single-sided deafness, uh, which is the the single-ear hearing loss, is a huge area of research currently um, because we know that that it's a different category of patients than patients who have had bilateral or both of their ears having uh, severe profound hearing loss for many Uh years. Um, And we do have good treatment options for people with single-sided deafness, and that goes anywhere from certain kinds of hearing aids called cross-hearing aids to acoustic bone-anchored solutions like an osseo, um, all the way through to a cochlear implant. Now, we know with cochlear implantation um, that uh, it is typically approved by all commercial payers, including government payers for bilateral hearing loss past a certain degree. Um, Mm -hmm. Single-sided deafness is um, often handled differently by several of these carriers, and we have to take them on a one-by-one basis. We often have to have conversations with medical directors um, regarding coverage for that. But on certain individuals, cochlear implantations can work. There's more variability if a long period of time has gone by, uh, mm-hmm. how well that patient is going to do from a discrimination ability, getting back to that earlier topic about more than just sound awareness, but the clarity of the speech. And we have to spend quite a bit of time counseling patients to give them realistic expectations because there's definitely more uncertainty as the decades have gone by about has their brain rewired some of those hearing centers on that side and will they have the ability to rewire it back to some degree. Um, and, and there's often some unknown, but there are other options that I mentioned as well. So um, we know that single-sided deafness has detrimental effects, particularly on school-age children and on education, on higher rates uh, of them having to be held back uh, for a grade or behavioral problems. Um, mm-hmm. And with the right treatment solution, we can often obviate many of those problems. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing because then there's increased social isolation, right? And loneliness, balance issues, risk for a fall. I mean, all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And people, you know, we've all known people as they got older and they said, well, what's the point of going to that party or what's the point of going to the dinner? I'm not going to be able to hear anyway. And then they just stay at home and they begin to withdraw. It's less stimulation for their brain, which leads to some of the potential cognitive decline. Um, And it really sets up a spiral. Um, And we know that that depression in the elderly, we know frailty, um, we know some of their gait disturbance. You can actually measure how some of the elderly are, are simply walking and the pace mm. that they're walking, the stability they're walking, and it, it's a strong predictor of 
life expectancy and of quality of life. Um, and there's growing body of evidence that by diagnosing and treating their hearing loss early, you can often either slow and in some cases reverse many of those declines that we mentioned. Right. So what you're saying is going back to the cochlear implants, that's helping you with the discrimination of the sound. And, and, but is that, and we'll talk about this, we're going to take a break in a minute, but just kind of a sneak preview. Is that a very invasive procedure, you know, the cochlear implant, or is it an outpatient procedure? How does, how does that work? Absolutely. So look, everyone's afraid of of anything that has the word surgery. But importantly, right. this is a quick, often one, one and a half hour outpatient procedure with minimal risk and minimal downtime and very minimal pain, usually. And so once patients hear that, they say, you know what, I'd like to learn a little bit more about that and uh, come in for a longer conversation. Right. Now, can you see it in the, in the head or is it covered with hair or how does, how does that work? So cochlear implants typically has two components. There's the internal component, which is the receiver stimulator. And Mm -hmm. that's the part that we surgically implant through a small incision behind your ear. And Mm -hmm. we put that piece, and it's only about four millimeters thick. So it's very thin. It sits right on top of the bone and under all the other tissue. And and attached to that is a little electrode that actually goes into your inner ear, the cochlea, to stimulate Mm -hmm. the nerve for hearing directly. Um, Mm -hmm. And you close that incision with some dissolving sutures. Uh, There's basically no visible scar and no outward sign that anything was done once you peeled up. Um, And then on the outside, you wear um, a thick of a hearing aid, um, but you wear that little processor that has a magnet inside of it. And the Mm -hmm. internal piece has a magnet, and the outside piece has a magnet. So when you wear this, the, the two magnets magnetized to each other across the skin and sends a signal to the internal device and down the electrode. Now, when you take it off, now there's nothing visible from the outside. But even the outside piece now has become so thin, uh, it comes in multiple colors to match your hair color. Hmm. Typically, uh, the cosmetics Uh are much better appreciated now than they were years ago. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be coming back. When we come back, we're going to talk more about cochlear implants. You know exactly what they do, how long we've had them, um, uh, sort of successes with them. And we'll talk more about that with Dr. Brian Kaplan, who is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. He's also the Chairman of the Department of Otolaryngology and the Director of the Cochlear Implant Program at Greater Baltimore Medical Center in Baltimore and President of the Maryland Society of Otolaryngology. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. America's Voice. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. to Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show 
Well, hello, everyone, and we are back. You are listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And today we are talking about hearing and hearing loss and what you can do about it. My guest is Dr. Brian Kaplan, who is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. He's also the Chairman of the Department of Otolaryngology and Director of the Cochlear Implant Program in Greater Baltimore Medical Center in Baltimore and President of the Maryland Society of Otolaryngology. And he's worked with a lot of innovation um, and hybrid and traditional cochlear implantation, and so happy to have you here, uh, Dr. Kaplan. All right, so let's talk more about the cochlear implants. I mean, just kind of gave a taste of it before the break, but, you know, how new are they? I mean, I've heard of them in the last five or 10 years, but before that, I really didn't hear about them. You know, where are they? Um, Just kind of talk about the, the transition, right, from the hearing devices that we know to the cochlear implant and where we're going. Sure. Again, thank you for having me. So, cochlear implants are actually not nearly as new as many people believe, and that's simply because there was, uh, there still isn't the level of awareness that we would like about this technology. Uh, the work began on this in earnest back, all the way back to the 1960s, um, where single-channel implants were developed, and you think of that like a light switch, either on or off, so you're aware of some sound, but clearly not enough to to mimic speech. And as time went on, we went to multi-channel cochlear implants and think of a piano with many different notes on the piano so we can represent um, all of the different sounds in human speech to allow better communication. Um, And it was really in the 1980s when that game um, accepted and more widespread. It uh, gained regulatory approval in most of the major markets around the world um, and obviously initially was targeted at at babies born with a significant hearing loss uh, because the intervention is really fairly magical when you get this in a a child. In the United States now, we're approved down to nine months of age uh, during the normal course of action. We go even younger than that for various medical concerns. Um, And they can follow a normal trajectory of speech and language development um, and be in in regular school and kindergarten and all the way through. Um, And... uh, develop a hearing that was really only a dream 30 or 40 years ago. Um, so it's a, it's a proven technology that's now been around for decades, um, outstanding reliability of uh, 98 to 99% reliable after 10 years of implantation. Wow. Um, and again, as we talked about before, you know, it's a, it's a quick outpatient surgery through a very small hidden incision behind your ear. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stitches typically dissolve and you go home an hour later with very little pain. And I think even just that small amount of information is enough that a lot of patients say, boy, that doesn't sound nearly as scary as I thought it yeah. was or as the video I might have watched on YouTube. <laughs> who, who does this not fit? In other words, you know, you're talking about hearing loss, but are there, candidate, are there uh, people that aren't good candidates? Um, sure. Look, there's no one uh, one size fits all for any medical intervention. I mean, I think you have, you have to take a little bit of a step back. Right? There's there's two kinds of hearing loss in the world. There's what's called conductive hearing loss and what's called sensory neural hearing loss. So, conductive hearing loss means that something is physically blocking the conduction of sound down to your inner ear. That right. could be anything from a, a wax in your ear to fluid to hearing bone problems to eardrum problems, you name it. Typically, those are things surgically we can do something about. Um, and if that doesn't work, then a bone-anchored solution where we actually vibrate directly through the bone to the inner ear, mm. bypassing that damage, is wow. very successful. And we do do lots of those. Is but that, for the is sensory that, neural... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Excuse me. No, I was just going to ask you oh, the bone, what you were talking function. about with the bone. Is that is that common or is that more of an unusual procedure when you talked about that's the bone? That's actually quite common. No, that's, that's quite common. You think about things like infection or trauma or prior surgeries, scar tissue. Um, there are children who are born without ear canals or external ears, which is how this technology wow. was first used uh, to be wow. able to transmit the sound because those children actually have normal inner ears and normal nerves leading to the brain. Mm. And we just have to have a good way of getting the sound to that cochlea yeah, amazing. Um, and then to the nerve that goes down the is brain. That, is that the same kind of procedure that the cochlear implant is or is it different in terms of the way you it's go a in? different procedure. Yeah, but it's a a very different procedure. It's actually typically a much quicker procedure um, because you're not having to gain access down to the cochlea itself to put the electrode in like we do for a cochlear implant. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're simply putting in um, uh, a a small screw, and it actually comes from the dental world. So if you you think of a dental implant, it's exactly the same technology that's used to put your tooth on um, in your mouth. But instead of that, we anchor 
the little vibrating device to the bone behind the ear, which allows mm-hmm. the sound to be transmitted right through that screw to the bone and directly to the inner ear and bypass whatever the area of damage is wow. um, to restore and, the hearing. And, and that would work with somebody who's had hearing loss for a long time as well? So that works typically um, for that conduction problem or for folks with single-sided deafness because you put that device on their deaf ear, and it allows them to pick up the sound from their bad side, in quotes, um, and send it through the bones of their skull to get picked up by their good cochlea on the other side. Um, And it actually works quite nicely. So it isn't actually restoring the hearing in that bad ear, but it is giving them good hearing on both sides of them. So they can walk down the street with their friends and sit at a table and ride in a car and be able to hear all around them. Mm. And it happens because of the conduction or because of the vibration that they can hear? Exactly. So you can can send that sound energy directly through that little screw into the bone and then which will Uh. then vibrate the bones of a cochlea where the fluid is enclosed. And that vibration is then picked up by the nerve and sent to the brain. Mm. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it really is when you think about it. It's just amazing. And, the, and what, what is that called again? Now, we talked about cochlear implant, but what you just talked about is called bone? So, yep. So, so that's an acoustic implant. And uh, BAHA um, has been around for about 35 years, uh, B-A-H-A. And that has been the technology that we still use very frequently. And the most modern uh, version of this is called the OSIA. O-S-I-A, and that's actually a fully implanted solution that allows that vibration to come all the way through without any uh, small screw that has to come through the skin. Um, So we we have multiple options for different patients for different indications, but they work Mm -hmm. for the same type of technology of how do we we bypass whatever the area problem is, because often those patients have a very good inner ear and nerve function. Uh, now, does insurance cover that as well as the? Co- I know you said that cochlear implants are covered by insurance, but is this yep. um, acoustic implant covered as well? This is covered as well, um, and those those bone anchored solutions are covered. Um, there's clear indications from all of the payers, and again, this is not uh, this is not new technology. Uh, the bone anchored solutions have been around for over thirty years now. And uh, mm. we have well-established uh, pathways to get them reimbursed for patients. But now you said that with with one here with I said you not bilateral, but you said unilateral. So if there's hearing loss on one side, it may not be covered. Is that true? Um, so the bone anchored solutions typically are covered um, for those patients. That's been a well-established indication for them. On the cochlear implant side, um, that uh, sometimes requires conversations with the insurance carriers uh, mm-hmm. to explain the situation. Mm-hmm. There's been lots of literature and lots of research published over the past decade proving the benefit of cochlear implantation for those. And we always have to be careful because you have to follow regulatory guidelines within any particular country. And so right. we have to abide by those, uh, by those regulatory findings. Right. But in those countries where, where that's an option for us, uh, we can have good, frank conversations with the various that's carriers wonderful. and send them, yeah. send them the literature to hopefully make it an option for those patients. So, Dr. Kaplan, when you think about the cochlear implant, before that, when you're wearing the hearing aid, how do you know that you need to transition from the hearing device to the cochlear implant? Is it because of the quality, the clarity, or how do you know? That's exactly right. And and there's actually a lot of work going on right now to try to move away from pure numbers as a threshold, because obviously we have to use those numbers for insurance carriers to pay for the uh, to pay for the intervention to, to really prove that someone's hearing loss is bad enough. But that's not something we want the patients or even the audiologists who have often been caring for these patients for decades to get too hung up on. It's more of a functional aspect. So you, these patients have typically been wearing hearing aids for many years. They've gone through many different versions of their hearing aids, often mm-hmm. in a search to say, boy, if I could just find something a little better or something a little more right. powerful that would make me hear better, that's all I need for my life. And unfortunately, the problem is not that they need a more powerful hearing aid. The problem is they've lost that discrimination ability we talked about earlier. So the Mm -hmm. sound is getting louder with their hearing aids, but it's doing nothing to make it clearer. And once Mm -hmm. they cross a certain threshold, um, and that's roughly in the 50 to 60% correct on that word readback test. Once they get worse than about that 60% correct, um, and we start asking questions to say, hey, are you having trouble on a telephone? Do you have trouble listening to a television? Are the subtitles coming on? Do you have trouble with accents? 
on those shows, background noise. Right. And if they say yes, 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 you know, their eyes light up. Often those patients are already a candidate for cochlear implant, and we have to have them come in. There's a specialized battery of hearing testing that we, we use for them um, to often put them in more real-world situations, both for words and sentences, um, where we test them with their hearing aids in various real-world situations with some background noise involved, and, and measure how well do they do. And if they are below a certain level, then we're quite confident that cochlear implantation can really benefit those patients by restoring much of that clarity. Mm, well, it, it's to me, it's really it, it's such a it's such a positive benefit and can help people because we're living longer now. I mean, people are living to 100, and I think in the next 20 years we'll have more people living to 100, and so it, this is going to be even more so. I mean, don't you see that the need will expand as as oh, time the, goes on? The need is not only expanding exponentially because of the aging population, but because of how many patients who would benefit today from this technology are not yet being served Getting by it. this technology. Yeah. And if you just yeah. look here in the United States, it's roughly 95% of the patients who are candidates today for a cochlear implant and their insurance company would pay today for that cochlear implant don't have the technology. That is only about 5% penetration. Um, And so not only do we have to do a better job getting out to those 95% of patients who would benefit today, but that population that's aging all the time Mm -hmm. um, is, is going to benefit. And it's important to remember that there is no age limit for this. Um, I've I've personally implanted many patients in their mid to late nineties with this technology who have done great and they go home an hour later from surgery. So we care about the health status of the patient. We care about any cognitive decline or dementia that's Mm -hmm. present. But -hmm. but if you're a healthy 80, 90 year old patient um, with a a degree of hearing loss that could benefit, then there's a good chance you can be helped with a cochlear implant. Well, uh, you know, I'm after hearing you say that, I'm even happier now that I'm doing this interview because if we can reach people who listen to this and say, you know, I ought to look into it. I mean, I think you're right. I think it's education. I think a lot of people, they hear implant and they get scared and then they think hearing hearing loss is a stigma. So I'm, you know, I, I think this is so important. Uh, thank you for being on. Um, we're going to come back. And we'll talk more about the innovations in cochlear, you know, improved hearing outcomes, enhancing your lifestyle benefits, enabling connected care treatments across many indications. So we'll talk more about that with Dr. Brian Kaplan, who's the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. He's also the Chairman of the Department of Otolaryngology and Director of the Cochlear Implant Program at Greater Baltimore Medical Center in Baltimore and President of the American Society of Otolaryngology. Stay tuned, folks. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Show. I'm Patricia Raskin, and we'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Turn every weekend into a fun storytime adventure with Jesse Jameson and Friends. Each week, Jesse brings on a new guest with a great real-life story to share. And he tests the limits of some of his friends' storytelling abilities with fun questions and outrageous comments. If you have a story worth telling, you can be a part of the show, too. Listen to Jesse Jameson and Friends every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. are listening to the Patricia Raskin show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin show. Well, hello everyone and welcome back. 
I'm Patricia Raskin. Welcome back to our program, The Patricia Raskin Show. And today we are talking about hearing loss uh, as we age and hearing loss across the board, how it's uh, increased, and what are some very realistic and positive things that we can do about it, um, including cochlear implantation. My guest is Dr. Brian Kaplan, and he is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. He's also the chairman of the Department of Otolaryngology, director of the Cochlear Implant Program at Greater Baltimore Center in Baltimore, and president of the Maryland Society of Otolaryngology. And he spent um, many times looking at optimizing efficiency for medical practices and platforms and um, various innovations in cochlear implantation. So um, thank you so much for being on the program. All right. So let's talk about these innovations at cochlear. Um, certainly, you talked about improving the hearing out comes, and particularly not just in sound, but in clarity. But enhancing the lifestyle benefits, well, that to me, that that would make sense. Obviously, you can enjoy more, right, because you can hear more. You're in a group, and you can interact more. And um, But talk about that, and talk about the connected care as well. Yeah, look, thank thank you for having me again. And you're exactly right. You know, what we we all want for our patients, and what all the patients with hearing loss is just to re-engage with the life that they had before. Right. They don't want to be thinking about the technology. None of us do in any of the technology that's in our lives. We'd like it to blend seamlessly um, and allow us to have a, the quality of life, uh, which is really optimized, um, where the, the disability of the hearing loss does not get in our way, and the technology to help improve that um, really blends seamlessly into the background. And so you think about how to do that, and that's that's multifactorial. We think about how do we make the cochlear implant obviously give you the very best hearing because at the end of the day, that's what's most important is to get the very best hearing outcome. How do we help minimize the background noise uh, if you're in a crowded area and help try to amplify the sound of the person that you're actually having a conversation with? How do you make them smaller and thinner and less obtrusive? How do you make the batteries last longer? How do we improve our waterproofing and our dust resistance? Um, and when you drop it accidentally onto the floor, you step on it. How do we make them stronger um, mm-hmm. and less likely to break? Right. And there's significant work streams on each of these things to, to make them more robust. Uh, and then the other part is the connected care that you mentioned, right? If you think about you, you look around whatever room you're sitting in, right? You're sitting in, in a Wi-Fi zone and you've got your remote control for your television and your and your iPhone and your laptops. Um, and, you know, we're surrounded by this technology right now, which we just take for granted should all work well together. And so it's the same thing from a cochlear implant. You know, how do we... How do we unchain the patient from their technology and how do we free up both the patient and the clinic who's providing the care for them to utilize this technology to minimize the amount of times the patient has to come back to clinic for their aftercare appointment? And when they do come back, how do we make it quicker? Um, How do we have it so it's less time out of work or out of school for that patient to be able to come back? Are there ways that we can do any remote technology to be able to check on how well the implant is functioning, to troubleshoot, to answer questions? Um, And there's significant work going on on each of these pieces right now uh, to Mm. enable an entire ecosystem to grow up around that cochlear implant, to allow them to re-engage with all the aspects of their life that many times they thought was was left behind forever. They never thought they'd be able to do those things again. But Um, but my question there... But my question there is, as they get older, a lot of people aren't as um, technology adept. So, you know, how having them understand the Wi-Fi or connecting to different devices at home, is this something that, is that part of the connected care where you actually help them and teach them so they can stay connected? So I, I would say there's two answers to that. Uh, the first answer is absolutely uh, we help them. And when, when I say we, that's a, a multifactorial we, right? We can be cochlear. We can be the providers who are providing care in the clinic for that patient or even often the family members who are doing that. Uh, but also equally, if not more important, is how do we create the technology that doesn't require all of that teaching? Right, So you shouldn't have to spend hours figuring out how to pair your television mm-hmm. or your telephone right. to your cochlear implant or right. your cochlear implant to your hearing aid in your other ear. And so there's a significant focus internally at cochlear for how do we do a better job actually devi- uh, designing the devices so that it just works um, and that there aren't a million buttons to press and a million things to pair, uh, but it's just easy. Because, again, not only are folks getting older who are using the technology, but along with that, often the dexterity might be dropping. They might have some arthritis in their fingers. They might have some vision loss along with this. Um, and we have to think about each of these things to make our products um, equally accessible for all of those patients across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. 
And now let's talk about the last part of this, which is the treatments across the indications. I think that's what you're talking about now, that it, it what the different treatments are or have, you know, expand on that a little bit more. Sure. And even just in the cochlear implant side, you know, that's really changed. Uh, if you look back over the last 20 to 30 years, uh, the evolution of the cochlear implants, um, initially when this technology came out, it was really for just those with profound hearing loss. Uh, profound deafness were the candidates for this. Mm-hmm. And what's mm-hmm. happened is as the technology continues to improve, the bar has been raised, and we know that not only profound patients, but then it became severe patients, and now moderate to severe patients are often getting significantly more benefit from their cochlear implant than they were from their earlier hearing aid. And in fact, the biggest study ever done um, on a series of cochlear implant patients was about two years ago, and it was 100 patients who were seniors, and they compared their cochlear implant function after about three months uh, to how they were doing with their old superpower hearing aids. And 95% of them preferred their cochlear implants compared to their superpower hearing aids after only three months. Um, and, and these were folks that if you went back 20 or 30 years ago, we might not have even thought of as traditional candidates for cochlear implant. Uh, and that, that bar, I think, is going to continue to change, as it should. You know, we know that there's millions of patients who would benefit from hearing aids who aren't using them today. And we mm-hmm. have to do a better job educating the general practitioners and the lay public about mm-hmm. the importance of diagnosing and treating. Mm-hmm. But then as that hearing loss gets more severe... Um, we know that those 95% of patients who could benefit from the cochlear implant technology today have not yet accessed that technology. And we need to do a better job through platforms just like your show here of educating those patients and yeah. their providers and their family members about the benefit. Mm. What do you see coming down the pike in the next five to 10 years? I mean, you've been at the forefront of this, the advancements in this. What do you see? Um, so I think a lot of those technologies is the continued evolution of the platform. And, it, it, and mm-hmm. again, if you look at if you look at the actual electrodes themselves, um, and you look at the actual receiver stimulator that, that goes under the skin behind your ear, uh, they're half the thickness that they were before. Um, the mm-hmm. electrodes are much skinnier and much more flexible so that we're doing a better and better job now of actually preserving hearing in patients who often Mm. have some low-frequency hearing coming into their cochlear implant, and we're doing a much better job of actually preserving that coming out of surgery. So patients can use what's called a hybrid device where they're using both electrical stimulation through their cochlear implant and acoustic stimulation through a traditional hearing aid that's all built into the same external device that they're wearing on the outside of their ear. And that gives them better hearing and background noise, better music appreciation. Um, and if you had gone back 15 years ago, people would have said that's impossible. There's no mm-hmm. way to both preserve the hearing and right. use that through a traditional right. hearing aid at the same time. Yeah. Lots of research going on on that. Lots of research mm-hmm. going on about the combination of cochlear implantation with various pharmacologic agents, uh, various mm-hmm. drugs and gene therapies of how do we combine the best of these technologies to really give the best out, uh, overall hearing performance. Uh, to I, our patients. And I read something about gene therapy. Can you talk about that, that that's like on the, the forefront of the wave of the future, or is it here now? Um, I, I would say it's, it's both. Um, the kind of running joke within the field is that it's always been about 10 years out, and it's been 10 years out the past 30 to 40 years. Uh, wow. And because it's, it's one of those, the more you learn, the more you realize you didn't know. And we're now up to over 200 genes that have been identified that uh, contribute to hearing loss. And that number literally grows every day as more research is done. So it isn't that there's one gene that we've identified and we just have to fix that one genetic defect and we'll be able to restore hearing. Um, it's measured in the hundreds now, and we don't wow. have a way to personalize the medicine to that degree. There's a lot of research going on. It's very exciting research. Um, we now can regrow hair cells um, in a lab um, to be able to do that, and uh, lots of work going on in people. Um, some clinical studies, but it, it is not close to widespread clinical adoption. Um, and I think once we do go farther down the path, there's going to be lots of combination usages of cochlear implantation potentially with any of these therapies. Um, and it points towards why we're so careful in our surgical technique and in the design mm-hmm. of the electrodes themselves, because we want to preserve that structure and preserve the inner ear so that potentially, if any of these various treatment modalities pan out, that the patient uh, may have the option to yeah. um, to access those technologies down yeah. the road. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. Um, well, actually, we have we have a couple minutes left. Um, so yeah, I was I was you know as you're talking, I keep thinking, 
you know, why aren't more people looking at this and, and even the hearing aids, you know, even the hearing devices? Um, and do you think it's more than stigma or do you think it's just plain stigma that people just, oh, it's a sign of getting old? I mean, we've adapted with our eyes. Everybody's wearing glasses. Nobody seems to say anything about that. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, I, I think not only is it a stigma, but it it hasn't been clear why it mattered until recently. Right. It's like saying, sure, you got some gray hair because you're getting older. And if you want to color it, color it. If you don't, don't. Right. And that's how it was with hearing loss. And say, yeah, you're getting older. So you have some hearing loss. Big deal. You know, if you want to treat it, treat it. If you don't, don't. Um, And that changed over the past five years as now the research says, well, you know what? It's not okay if you don't treat it because we Mm -hmm. know that it's so strongly associated with that cognitive decline in dementia and the depression and the falls that you're doing yourself a significant uh, disservice. Um, and making it less likely you're going to age in a healthy way and with a robust quality of life moving yeah. forward if you don't do a good job diagnosing and treating your hearing loss. And it's really changed how all the medical professionals have, have started to think about hearing loss as a whole. Which is great. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Kaplan for what are the typical questions his patients ask him, maybe some success stories, and then certainly how uh, people can find um, you or find more information. So would they go to cochlear.com for more information? Absolutely. Um, cochlear.com um, is a great uh, initial resource. Um, checkmyhearingaid.com uh, as well um, is also a great source to be able to um, get a sense of your hearing aids are giving you the benefit that you need. Okay. All right. All right. I'm talking with Dr. Brian Kaplan, Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. He's also the Chairman of the Department of Otolaryngology, Director of the Cochlear Implant Program at Greater Baltimore Medical Center in Baltimore, and President of the Maryland Society of Otolaryngology. Um, You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Attention, veterans. Are you ready to be your own boss? It's time to launch your own ideas into reality. Discover your clean writing style. Gear up with Marine Corps trained motivator, Christina Silva. Christina is a positive energy promoter with a special gift in connecting with innovators. Get the Military Heroes 411 and glean from experts every week by listening to The Christina Silva Show. We're educating our veterans live on The Christina Silva Show, live at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. You are listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And today we're talking about hearing loss. We're talking about cochlear implantation. We're talking about the advances of what we can do. Um, And what I'm finding out from Dr. Kaplan is that 95% of the people who could get help for hearing are not getting it. Only 5% are, and that's staggering. So if we can educate the public to really research, because uh, not only that, but um, a lot of these procedures are covered medically by insurance. So my guest is Dr. Brian Kaplan. He's the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. He's also the Chairman of the Department of Otolaryngology, Director of the Cochlear Implant Program at Greater Baltimore Medical Center in Baltimore, and President of the Maryland Society of Otolaryngology. Okay, so what about... Um, you know, what are your patients asking you? What are the same things you hear? What are the concerns that patients come to you with? Oh, 
So there's a litany of concerns. Usually it's the engagement with all the, the things that they've lost forever. So they come and say, like, I can't hear my grandchildren any longer. I can't go to the restaurant. I can't go to the lecture or to church and hear the sermon. Um, and they feel really uh, dissociated from their life. Uh, sometimes their family members are the ones who are dragging them in because they're either so sick of repeating themselves or they can mm. see their loved one starting to withdraw um, yeah. and become a little bit of a shell of their former self. And they know if they can get them hearing better, they can get them to re-engage. Um, and it's so important for part of their overall healthy aging to do that. Mm. So what would you suggest to people? What's the first step? Do they do research? Do they Because, you know, not every otolaryngologist is the same. I mean, some people will give you one diagnosis, another person will give you another diagnosis. We know this. It's very variable. So do you see two or three people? Do you do your research? I mean, what would be your suggestion? So we always say, look, we should start with our local medical professionals. Um, and, and you're correct that there's a fairly wide variability of the understanding about the importance of treating hearing loss and then the available treatments that are out there. Right. So uh, finding, depending on where you live, a local otolaryngologist that often has a tight, uh, tight working relationship with a local audiologist, a doctor of audiology is excellent. You can go directly to doctors of audiology. Um, that have experience. Uh, many of them are now getting experience with cochlear implants as well. Mm. Um, and, mm. and often that they can be um, helping to program and monitor the cochlear implant function long term. And you don't have to make all the trips in um, to the, the larger implanting centers any longer. And often your community audiologist that you've had a long relationship with um, may be getting experience now. That's been a rapidly growing piece within the United States. Um, and certainly any of the cochlear implant uh, centers, uh, there's over 300 centers in the United States uh, who are implanting cochlear implants today and over 700 actual surgeons doing those implantations. So uh, not too far from wherever you're living or wherever you're listening to this, uh, there are professionals who are well experienced in this. And uh, we can certainly help you from a diagnostic standpoint and often from a treatment standpoint as well. Okay. And and in terms of, you said that a lot of these procedures are covered so um, by insurance, most of them. Absolutely. Cochlear implantation is covered uh, by all the major uh, commercial payers, uh, covered by Medicare, covered by Medicaid. Um, and uh, there's very clear guidelines uh, regarding the severity of the hearing loss to mm-hmm. and be able to access that payment. And uh, all of these centers are well-versed in being able to uh, help you work your way through that um, that process. Uh, it's it's not going to be your responsibility. Um, it will be the clinic's responsibility and your medical professional uh, to help mm-hmm. shepherd you through uh, that entire process. But mm-hmm. but this is a covered procedure, so mm-hmm. the finances should be removed from the equation for you. What is something you'd like our listeners to know? Maybe something that you feel very very strongly about that you'd like to share. With, uh, with hearing and cochlear implantation and just the whole, the whole field. I would like everyone who's listening to this who's noticed that they're having a little more trouble in those social situations at work, in the meeting rooms, right, church, uh, listening to tele- on the telephone, to television, uh, to not accept that um, as something both that they can't change and that it's a normal part of aging uh, and that they should ignore it. Um, this is a crucial piece of your aging, the same way you wouldn't ignore your high blood pressure or your high cholesterol. Right. Um, you should not ignore um, this. Right. We all take it for granted that we'll go get our blood sugar and our cholesterol checked. You'll get a colonoscopy when you're 50. Um, and you should now think about your hearing loss in much the same way. Um, this is going to be a crucial part um, for, for you to stay vital um, through through your aging process. Mm-hmm. And um, people are living into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and even triple digits now. And we want mm-hmm. to maintain the very highest quality of life. And part of that is going to be to maintain your hearing, um, to maintain the very best cognitive function you can through that aging journey. Yeah. And also, too, I think another very important point with that is what it does for the brain. Because, right, if your brain isn't being stimulated, that then could increase, could uh, contribute to memory loss, correct? Or loss of memory. Absolutely. Yep. No, we know that that memory loss and the cognitive decline and dementia are all very strongly associated um, with this. There was work out of Johns Hopkins from Dr. Frank Lin's uh, work that he published that looked at uh, the association between 
cognitive decline in dementia and hearing loss, and a moderate hearing loss had a three times increase in the rate of dementia, mm. and a severe hearing loss had a five times increase. Wow. Uh, And so we we don't take those numbers lightly. And so seeing your medical professional and being as aggressive as we can uh, to properly diagnose and treat hearing Mm. loss uh, throughout the entire spectrum of severity is Mm. is going to be crucial from a public health standpoint moving forward. What about anything we can do for prevention? Anything we can do in terms of exercise, certain diets or programs or supplements or herbs, anything like that or no? So the best thing you can do in prevention is to avoid the significant hearing uh, avoid the significant noise exposure. Uh, we've all, uh, you know, seen people yelling at their kids to turn the music down or take the headphones off, um, and it's really important. Uh, we have tight guidelines now from environmental exposure from OSHA um, regarding how long you can be exposed to various uh, levels of noise mm. intensity and when hearing protection is required. Um, it's mm. really important uh, for your kids and your grandkids um, that their earbuds uh, aren't on uh, too loud or their headphones aren't on too loud to cause that irreparable um, hearing loss moving forward. And then what you can do, we know that high blood pressure and high blood sugar and diabetes um, can affect the small blood vessels throughout your body, um, including your inner ear. So maintaining mm-hmm. proper blood pressure, good cholesterol, um, Having tight control of your sugars is important. Um, Exercise is always vital because it also improves that uh, circulation. There really Mm -hmm. hasn't been shown to be any type of supplements or medications at this point um, which have been beneficial. Uh, But the healthy diet and exercise, uh, avoiding Mm -hmm. uh, any kind of tobacco products, which also decrease the blood supply to all of those little capillaries throughout your body, uh, is Mm -hmm. important as well. All right. This has been really wonderful. Uh, How can people find you, Dr. Kaplan, again? Or find out more uh, so, Absolutely. Right. So look for me. We can always go to cochlear.com um, and find us on the website there. Um, you can find us on the Greater Baltimore Medical Center website as well. Um, and uh, always happy to see you. And if, if you go to cochlear.com, you'll also be able to be directed to your local medical professionals who have uh, expertise in the diagnosis and treatment of the severe hearing loss um, and the various treatment modalities we've talked about tonight. Don't accept your hearing loss. Uh, there's plenty of practitioners throughout the country who are quite skilled and available to help you today. Thank you so much for being on the program. It was very enlightening, inspirational, and important. Thank you, Dr. Brian Kaplan. Thank you for having me. All right, all right, stay on the line for a minute. Um, who is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Cochlear. All right, folks, this wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. You can find me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. Get on my newsletter list so you can see these wonderful guests that I have on each week. And uh, you can like me, at Patricia, at Patricia Raskin, again, um, on Facebook. And also, if you're interested in doing your own podcast because you want to get your message out, I help people put them together because I believe in these positive messages. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.